Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Hello again, listeners. It's another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. It's me, Matthew Wade, talking to you as per usual. And joining me is podcast regular and international football supporter superstar, Anita Sambol. How are you, my dear? Hello, hello. It's it's a blue Monday, they say, the, today, yeah. when we are recording. But thanks to Arsenal over the weekend, it's not so blue for us, yeah, for a change. It, yes. Uh, well, also, given the result, not so blue for London football as well, which is rather nice. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean... There's quite a lot to talk about, even ignoring the game. So we should, uh, we should probably start with the game, get out the out the way, because obviously there is a, a, a lot happening out at Arsenal Football Club, quite apart from football on the pitch. Uh, but I suppose we should always try and remember that it is actually what happens on the pitch that is the most important thing, despite the fact everything else is going on in the background. Um, so I presume you rather enjoyed the game at the weekend. <laughs> well... I, I mean, I enjoyed the result very, very much. And the first half was really fun and good to watch, but I didn't particularly enjoy our performance in second half, if I can say so, if I can be so, you know, picky. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of different things to, 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 to take from that. I mean, what part of the second half performance did you not enjoy? I just, just a general thing I don't really enjoy when it comes to Emery and his tactics is... To, that's, I think that sometimes he's a bit too defensive. Mm-hmm. I was, when he was bringing on the substitutions, when he took... I mean, okay, I can perhaps understand taking one of the strikers off, although I would per- perhaps take Aubameyang off, but I was so sad to see Ramsey go because I thought that he was probably our best player on the pitch then, and that taking him off and Lacazette off, turning to more defense, just meant that we are definitely not scoring any more goals. <laughs> Well, I mean, I have to say, to present the counter-argument, was it not a reflection of the fact that we'd slightly lost impetus going forward and that Chelsea had slightly rejigged their midfield, so that, meaning that we couldn't control the game just by basically Ramsey either standing on Jorginho or running off him, um, and thus he was trying to, trying to change the formation slightly in order to give us a bit more uh, pace whilst still having more in midfield? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I just thought that when he was taking Ramsey off and Lacazette, who was really returning back to midfield and helping more than perhaps Aubameyang mm. would do, I just thought that he lost that connection between defending, which we did surprisingly well, or were just uh, Chelsea much worse than Liverpool, for example. I thought that perhaps uh, including uh, Ezel would, would do us perhaps something better. I mean, that obviously meant that we would be a bit more open on, on the back when mm. it comes to that. But Chelsea didn't look as, as dangerous as some other teams have. But uh, as you rightly say, yeah, there, we, there were other options. But do you think, uh, <laughs> before we get on to it, I suppose in more detail later, the Ozil Emery saga, you know, back in the matchday squad, but was he ever really most likely to be the first man to be coming off the bench when we're defending a lead? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of had some hope, you know, that he would bring him on after those two subs were made. But then, unfortunately, Bellerin had to come off and that change had to be made. So, uh, hard to tell what would have happened. I mean, but I think that if, if Chelsea didn't manage to get one goal somehow, although they had, what, one shot on target to call match, something like that? Yeah, one shot on target and one off the post, yeah. 
Yeah, if one goal did go in, that would just lift them up, and we were already, you know, all in defense, all defending, and I think it would be hard to get back into match after those two changes were made. Well, of course, as you say, I mean, Hector's injury, and more about that later, uh, sort of limited Emery's options, but had he not been injured, then uh, then one could assume that, you know, if Chelsea had scored and we needed to push forward again, then Ozil could have come on for for one of the uh, tiring holding midfielders, possibly Gendouzi, and then there could have been a slight formation jig that way without actually you know, because Maitland-Niles has the benefit of being able to play almost anywhere, apart from central defences, despite despite Wenger's attempts at last pre-season. <laughs> um, uh, so perhaps, you know, who knows how it might have played out otherwise. But you have to be, I imagine, very happy with the first half performance and, and, and both from a tactical and, and a performance perspective from the individual players. Yeah, definitely. It was a really, really good half, you know, the... the one half that we are used, we would used to be seeing in second half during those hmm. 22 games unbeaten, <laughs> you know, when everything looked okay, clicked. Like, we actually have a plan. Hmm. The pressing looked fantastic. You could barely... I mean, you all probably forgot that uh, Jorginho and Hazard were even playing, and Bellerin was doing a fantastic job on Villian as well. Hmm. It was just really... I mean, after the goals, we didn't have much, much possession. Chelsea took over the initiative and uh, started trying to create something they obviously didn't manage to <laughs> in the end. But mm. I think that we were in control for for actually most of the match, not only in the first half. Well, it's I mean, it's, it is kind of interesting that Chelsea's two most dangerous attacks, although neither of them ended up with shots on target, were from one long ball down the field from uh, David Luiz, which Pedro got in behind. Uh, the defence yeah. when Kalasnac f- forgot to push up at the same time as the rest of the back four. <laughs> and uh, the second one, obviously, from uh, Marcus Alonso, our bete noir, uh, anti-Arsenal shithouser extraordinaire, uh, nearly yeah. scored from a corner. Um, which is, given the team that Chelsea had on the pitch, were not the two ways you'd expect them to, to be potentially dangerous. <laughs> um but how much do you think was... I mean, obviously, Arsenal played well, particularly in that first half. The, as you say, the, the pressing seemed to actually be coordinated for the first time in quite some time, which was which was pleasing to see. And obviously, given the system that uh, that Emery chose and, and the adjustments he was trying to play against Chelsea, this was an ideal game for Aaron Ramsey to be brought back into the starting eleven and remind us that... Uh, that if given instruction, he can fulfil various different roles for us. Um, but but do 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 you think uh, Sari has to take criticism as seems to be happening all over the internet, or or is it just a case of a new manager who, who has a very clear philosophy, clearer than Emery's, for instance? I mean, Emery's always slightly adjusted depending on where he is, whereas Sari's like, this is what I do. You know, is is he making tactical mistakes, or is he uh, just trying to get his players sufficiently up to speed with his system? Well, perhaps it, it could be a, the similar situation as we have at Arsenal as well. You can, from the past few results and matches, you can see that Chelsea are going through a bit of rough time over the last month or so. It didn't look as good as as perhaps before, and I'm really. Not 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 sure. I mean, Sari mentioned at the press conference that these players are 
hard to motivate something like that he said that mm, yeah yeah it's a group of players that's not easy to motivate which i mean to me sounds really odd i mean if you can't motivate them in a london derby that is um, also a match for top four you mm. know getting champions league uh, next next season i'm just not sure what's happening they did look great in some matches using his sari ball and everything but perhaps just this time emery's tactics worked a bit better well i it was kind of funny i mean i only saw it subsequently because i wasn't watching that channel but you know Mourinho's comments about basically you know this chelsea team are easy to stop you just stop Jorginho and stop marcus alonso and that's your job done <laughs> which is needless to say a little bit disingenuous but um there was an element of truth of it in that uh, we've been critical of both Wenger in the, for many, many years and also Emery in terms of playing players not where they're most effective or not in their best positions. But Eden Hazard at centre-forward looks increasingly optimistic. You know, it may have worked with Dries Mertens, but uh, but Dries Mertens is, uh, is an... A, a, a sort of spikier player, a more combative player, despite his limited stature. Whereas Eden Hazard is famously, you know, brilliant, but a very easygoing guy and perhaps is temperamentally less suited to battling against centre-halves. I don't know. Um, certainly he looked temperamentally ill-suited to battling against Socrates or Koscielny, um, who were both yeah. well up for it. <laughs> they both played really, really a great, great match. I just loved how Socrates celebrated that yeah. <laughs> great tackle. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, was yeah. just <laughs> he loves defending. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I know. We've had a while since we've had too many of them. <laughs> it's a shame his header at the other end wasn't a little more ta- more accurate. But yeah, I when it, the match started and the misses by Obama Young and Socrates, so you would just think, "Oh my God, this is gonna be it. it's another one of those." <laughs> you know, yeah, we have yeah, chances yeah. and. Nothing happens, but yeah, I, I was just so happy when Costelli scored. Just amazing. <laughs> well, it was it was such a a pleasing goal for a lot of different reasons, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. The, everything that he has been through over the last uh, what seven eight, or eight months, missing on the World Cup and now coming back, you know, keeping the whole Arsenal defense back on his shoulders as he <laughs> used to do over yeah. the last few seasons and then scoring I think it, it's ninth season in a row that he yeah. has scored a goal yeah every yeah. season he's played in the Premier League he scored for Arsenal yeah uh, which is not to be sniffed at and he's now Arsenal's highest scoring defender in the Premier League era Fantastic. Uh, even even if he completely missed it with his head. <laughs> I, I, Shoulder goal. Yeah, I love the good commentators. God, man, oh, the twist of his neck, you know. And then they sort of go, hang on, I, I don't think he headed it. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely meant that, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, he couldn't have put it anywhere better. Uh, <laughs> if he'd actually headed it, it couldn't have been any, any, any further away from the goalkeeper and still on target. Brilliant uh, cross by Socrates. <laughs> cross? <laughs> well the thing is I'm not sure if it because it sort of looked a bit like a shot but then it, it seemed a bit implausible and you know there were people in the six yard box or moving towards the six yard box so maybe he was just 
putting it in the mixer. <laughs> all planned, Madrid was all planned. <laughs> all planned, yeah. Well, we've we've seen Socrates have occasionally moments of surprising skill, like nutmegging defenders and and what have you. Uh, uh, you know, if he stays at Arsenal for a length of time, he will get the obligatory, you know, one. Colo Toure, Sol Campbell, Thomas Vermaelen, and Belter from 25 yards because he strikes the ball very well. One that uh, El Neni tried to score a few times after coming on. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? El Neni had this, came with this reputation of scoring goals from, from long-range shooting and had a great goal-scoring season for Barca when we bought him. Immediately scored against Barcelona and then has come nowhere near scoring since. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, he hasn't played very much, but nonetheless... Um, his highlights reel was definitely misleading when it came to his <laughs> shooting capacity. So again, going back to the Chelsea game, um, I mean, I guess more reasons to feel sad about Aaron Ramsey going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just glad that perhaps something turned, you know, in Emery's head and we will use him because he doesn't look like, oh, I won't be here for a while. Why bother anyway? No. He just looks very determined and focused and playing really really well and we can definitely use him by the end of the season yeah I mean you know it's it, he's I mean everyone's all talked for a long time about his professionalism and his personality is very level headed uh, which famously makes him a slightly dull interview but um, <laughs> he it, it's in great contrast with some players that we've had at the club before who have been you know on their way out yeah um he seems still fully engaged with the rest of the squad, which is great. And just as, you know, really celebrating with them. And apparently, according to Emery's comments, you know, Ramsey had specifically said he wanted to play in that cup game that he played in in, in central midfield and sort of asked to play even before the manager wanted to pick him. So clearly he is determined to try and have have an impact at the rest of his time at the club. Um we're not, you know, we, we won't open that great conversational box about the decision to, to not renew his contract. And frankly, you know, there's nothing more to say since since it was last all said. And we still don't know what the wage demands were. And, and of course, you know, he's going to get the, the, the rumour is that he's going to get 140 grand at, at Juventus, which sounds like, oh, well, surely Arsenal could have beaten that. And, but that fails to take into account the massive signing on fee he'll get as well, which, 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 which if you take as a contract renewal, would bring it up to somewhere near 2250, which perhaps uh, with overpaid people in the squad already, we can't afford. But anyway, that's, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, but I think it was one of the, one of the, alongside the Tottenham game, second half, it's one of the performances where we saw. We saw effectively Ramsey used in the way that Emery originally envisaged him at the start of the season, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. We did. It was really. I've just loved how how he made Jorginho disappear as well. So not only that he was good going forward, and I think he got the assist right. Uh, did he? No. No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just remember that I read the stats today that where he had the same number of assists this year as Hazard. Yeah, no, it was uh, Bellerin assisted the first, oh, and right. uh, the second was obviously this is a cross with Shank. <laughs> um, yeah, I think perhaps we could uh, try this with this formation again sometimes uh, in the next next matches because it seemed to to work. Maybe maybe even against uh, United in the cup. 
Well, we'll get we'll certainly get onto that because that's mm-hmm. that's obviously a proposition which appears very different to perhaps uh, uh, a month or so ago. Uh, certainly, they're they, they're lining up and playing in a completely different style. Um, although they've mostly had what you'd call favourable fixtures in their good run. Uh, you know, teams you'd expect even a below par Man United to beat, let alone one that's finally happy again after two years of Mourinho <laughs> um, yeah I mean obviously say you know putting Ramsey on Jorginho was obviously key to interrupting the way that Chelsea wanted to play but he did still contribute in the attacking third for sure um, and having that kind of advanced pressing midfielder seeing Ramsey in that role really kind of does remind you why why Ozil doesn't quite fit into the way that <laughs> Emery want, wants his team to play ideally um, and uh, I, yeah, I, I cannot see Mesut Ozil being a first-choice starter under Unai Emery, although I can see him be getting, you know, being very impressive in individual games for us where he gets picked. But, um, yeah, I, I think this is the, one of the first games in a little while where we could see we could see a bit more of what Emery's trying to achieve with the team. Um, and obviously it helped that we went back to a back four. It helped the team shape, allowed us to be to pack the midfield but still have a threat going forward. I mean, what did you think about the formation? Yeah, I, I liked it more than the last, last few matches. I was, when I first saw the lineup, I thought, okay, Chaka and Guendouzi again, when I think that Chaka and Torreira are much, much better pairing, but I have to say Guendouzi had, had really a good match. Although I still think that he sometimes a bit, you know, too slow, too slow going forward. Mm. But I guess that it's, he's still young and still it's not his you know main main uh, task to to try something faster going forward but i think that the tactics were definitely definitely spot on and looked really really good i was i was also impressed that uh, we didn't get a single yellow card in that match yeah uh, yeah no goals no, no bookings <laughs> yeah i mean it was it was fantastic from a, a team discipline perspective, um, which is, again is something that we saw too little uh, in the in the last two in the last three or four years. You know, team perspective, both ta- team discipline, both tactically and also in terms of players, the way they're approaching their performances. Um, you know, they weren't without mistakes, and of course, as you alluded to earlier, we probably should have scored more goals in the first half. But hey. Uh, and except when you've got an Arsenal team that's really firing and awesome does that's just the way you know whenever we play well we miss chances <laughs> just hopefully we score enough as well um, yeah I mean I just like also have to mention the how Aubameyang a few times came back to to defend and mm. got the ball that was just a really good good thing to see although like, I think it was once or twice that he then lost the ball straight yeah, away yeah, but yeah. it was still uh, further away from our goal i just love that we stopped there even them trying to create some chances much sooner than we used to you know like mm. far far away from from our goal and as helen mentioned on slack that the, the chelsea didn't look as they they will score in the match if it was lasting even longer than it did well it was also I mean, it became more important after Giroud, and we'll talk about him more, came on. Um, but the what was nice is that, you know, the last few years under Arsene Wenger and the first part of the season under Unai Emery, 
we we had the disease of like not bothering to try and try and stop crosses coming in. Uh, whereas that that seems to finally, after years of us all being annoyed about it, people are finally trying to stop crosses coming in from dangerous positions with a little more regularity. I mean, still not as much as you might, but hell, you know, given that. Uh, if for when the opposition does bring on someone with an aerial presence, you do want to stop the balls being put into the box, and it's nice to see the team adjust its approach slightly after the substitutions were made, um, which you know may may have also contributed to us being anemic going forward was the fact that we were trying to cut off all avenues defensively. Um, yeah, I mean, talking about Oli Giroud, uh, um, I mean. Uh, I think you said on Twitter that, it, uh, that it's like he's just an, on loan at Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, everyone is acting like that. I mean, the fans were singing his name, but yeah, Moretti was waving at the crowd. And just oh, Even the official Twitter account of Arsenal tweeted something about him after the match. It about just... four things. Yeah, the, the, Arsenal, <laughs> the, Arsenal, the official Arsenal Twitter was going Giroud crazy. It was quite funny. And obviously he was going around clapping everywhere. I mean, he, he was a likeable guy when you forget some things he missed and, and how he could make us angry with his his misses in the matches. But, I mean, he went, the way he left to, you know, make make room for Aubameyang and everything, mm. it's just no I mean, hard feelings. I mean, it, does, it doesn't hurt that he sort of was in the interviewed, obviously, in the week because leading up to the game and pretty, and pretty much made it clear that it... You know, didn't really want to go, <laughs> but but you know, recognised that that he basically wasn't going to play very much. Um, and hey, Chelsea offered him a wage rise. Fuck it, <laughs> you know, if I'm not going to be third or fourth choice striker when there's a World Cup coming up, <laughs> and my team are one of the favourites to win it, and the manager wants to pick me. You know, it's it. Yeah. And I think everyone can get on board with his decision making in that one. And frankly, you know, if they weren't going to use him, the club couldn't afford to keep him on the books anyway. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, I think in in the fullness of time, Giroud's legacy at the club, or the way it'll be viewed, is that. Uh, a very very good player who gave a lot for Arsenal but spent too much of his career being the main man when he should have been the second guy um, you know as an alternative or as a partner to someone he could obviously been been great but as you know as he's shown at Chelsea if, uh, he's not ever going to be a prolific goal scorer um, although Chelsea's tactics haven't helped him either um, but yeah I suppose we do have to talk about the negative about the game which is of course the 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 freak and seemingly horrible injury to Hector Bellerin um I mean it's funny I actually got interrupted during the game um and uh only saw him get off getting stretched off I missed his injury um and so you know obviously I was wondering what the hell was happening and frantically looking for clips and what have you um I mean, apart from obviously, obviously being devastating for both him and the team, um, you know, what what are your thoughts on it? Do you do you do you think he was rushed back and it's a consequence of that, or do you think it's just bad luck, or you know, where where, where do you where do you stand? I I'm not not a, a expert doctor. <laughs> no. I'm really not sure if this could have been avoided with better preparation or as you say more more time not rushing him him uh, into the team i'm really not sure but if that could have helped i really hope that we will give him enough time now after yeah. it 
happen that he you know takes his recovery slow enough to come back and try to avoid things like that happening again yeah for sure I mean particularly as he's one of the players that has actually taken a step forward this season you know visibly taken a step forward after after a, a year of, of standing still really or possibly having a slight regression in, in Wenger's final season um, yeah exactly and it was just uh, you said you miss it when he it, it wasn't a tackle or anything it's just it was just stretching wasn't it yeah yeah, the, there was one clip going around Twitter when you could see something just snap in his knee. Just ugh. Mm. one one watching is enough, and you can see you can see on his face when he fell that straight away he knew it's it's something big. It's it's not good. Just oh yeah. They say what uh, from one some prognosis say from three months. Some say nine months. It's just everything looks so. Well, I have to wait until the, till the um. Till the final prognosis. I mean, there's been theories that it's been, you know, the, obviously people were initially saying it was an ACL tear, which has been poo-pooed by a, an American football doctor online on Twitter. He's been getting a lot of conversation about it. He he maintains that on first viewing from a distance, it looks like it's a, a left knee quad tendon, um, which is still involves surgery and could be still nine months rehab. The very best option is that it could be a lateral collateral ligament, which would be, you know, three or four months at best. But, I mean, I think we have to assume that it's probably the most serious injury of the three. It's either an ACL or a, or a quad tendon, um, and that he will not be featuring for us again until until early next season. Um, yeah. I think it's best that the club prepare that way and also make sure that he has the time to to recover fully the, the club have made it clear that unsurprisingly they will not be sourcing other right back which although our team will suffer as a result I support that decision given that we have three players that can play at right back and our best right back hopefully will come back from injury and be able to play next season so there's not a lot of point investing in that area unless you can pick someone up on loan who's who's um, able to contribute and you know not many great right backs around so I can't imagine there's many winning fantastic on loan although we probably could have done with knowing about it before Nathaniel Klein went to Bournemouth but I don't think Liverpool would have let him come to us anyway <laughs> um, yeah I, I, I also support that support that decision I think that if we will sign or loan any players we have other areas we should cover first yeah yeah um, and Frankly, uh, you know, with the cupboard being quite bare, our options limited anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously that, the, you know, the game at the weekend puts us, despite the blow to Bellerin, which hopefully won't derail the season too much, but it puts us fairly back into contention for the top four, just as it was looking like we were dropping out of the race um, and Man United were threatening to overtake us at any second. Um, we're now only three points behind Chelsea. They've got a, a, a slightly superior goal difference, but not a big enough amount to think you couldn't overcome. Uh, sadly, Spurs got their obligatory last-minute winner in a game they didn't deserve. <laughs> uh, although, and it was such a shame because obviously it was such a beautiful moment when their replacement strike centre forward scored an own goal. <laughs> <laughs> nice start, Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And we definitely saw that without Son and uh, Kane, they are not the same proposition, Spurs. But, you know, if they keep being able to grind out results, I, I guess we're all hoping that Deli Ali's injury is... Uh, is enough to keep him out of play for a little while, partly because he's a massive shithead and, part- <laughs> <laughs> and partly because uh, anything that derails rail Spurs season in any way would be very popular amongst quite a lot of people. Yeah, and we hope that Sons Korea is winning the competition they are playing in, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, you want to make sure they, they you, want, you want them to definitely get to the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for the final to go to extra time and a penalty shootout. <laughs> Um, but uh, you know it's 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 all bunched up there for that fourth place position. Um, Spurs are obviously seven points ahead, which is terribly disappointing. But um, yeah, Chelsea, Man United, and Arsenal—three points separate them. I mean, I think we're probably the least favourite of those clubs to to make the top four. But let it be. Let them think that we can get there. You know, we will just come under everyone's radar and swoop in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy to 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 not to be underdog in this particular race. We're we've had it before. Um, you know, Chelsea have clearly got their own problems. Uh, to the you know the fact they're flying in Higuain, um, and although it seems to be they're getting a good deal and just paying his vast wages uh, and a bit of a loan fee rather than actually buying him, which is a bit disappointed because I'd quite like him to spend another sixty million quid and a busted flash striker. But um, did you see how much they're getting for Morata? Something like fifty million or some shit yeah. like that. How? It seems I don't know. It seems like Chelsea and Spurs are both able to sell players for more than anyone else, <laughs> like players who are not being successful. I just don't get it. I mean, who is the idiot here? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I suppose they, you know, Atletico Madrid paid a lot of money for Diego Costa as well when they bought him back, despite the fact he was forcing his way out. So, Chelsea's negotiation team are clearly better than Arsenal's. <laughs> <laughs> They speak better Spanish. Yeah, well, very possibly. Um, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. Speaking of going, moving on to transfer rumors and stuff. Um, I love the weird rumor that someone was talking that that uh, Barcelona might try and take Giroud on loan, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is my favorite. That was like for a few hours. <laughs> yeah, my favorite unlikely rumor of the transfer window so far. If there's one player that fits less into Barcelona's. <laughs> playing style than Oli Giroud I don't know who it is it's uh, Kevin Prince Boateng perhaps well yeah although he's scored more goals than Giroud this season for a shit team in Italy of course um, Kevin Prince Boateng is one of those weird players that basically has bounced around and never been totally convincing but every so often is just absolutely unplayably brilliant um, yeah, he was even in Tottenham. I, I he was indeed. Yes, he was. Um, although, although he didn't didn't really have a very nice time there. That was when Spurs <laughs> were still doing their thing of buying good players and instantly making them shit, which they seem to sadly have stopped doing. <laughs> um, so, but so yeah, some weird rumours. So it looks like the, bro- the Prince Broting thing is actually happening, judging as far as I can tell. That he he's going to go on loan for Barcelona for half a season, which would be good because it it increases the chance of them loaning Denis Suarez to us and and imposing oh. less conditions on doing so. That one's still not over. Still not over, no. Yeah, no. but he liked some Instagram posts about Arsenal. <laughs> and, and didn't the Arsenal social media fan group let the world know? <laughs> yeah, a couple of Instagram likes, and it's like he's signed. We love him already. It's done. It's done. <laughs> yeah. Release video now. 
Unveiling, unveiling. Uh, although I don't know if you do an unveiling video for a loan signing that may or may not be here for more than five months. But anyway, that's another, another question. <laughs> With the way our January is going and the way we won't have major signings, so I think we should. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, celebrate the little things. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder what wanky concept they'll come up with. I mean, they celebrated the return to full training of five players at the <laughs> same time last week, so... <laughs> well, it's, uh, I mean, you know, I will say that Fabregas's unveiling video at Monaco was less wanky than uh, that Sanchez is at, at, at Man United, but they both were a bit, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the difference is, is that obviously Seska's always been quite cool, and and Sanchez comes across as like a, a weird man child, um, so, so he's sort of able to pull off the the bizarre concepts that were sort of slightly more flair. But um, speaking of which, Monaco got another spanking this week, losing five one at home to Strasbourg. <laughs> uh, it's it's so it's it's extraordinary to think. I mean. We, as Arsenal fans, we can bemoan our, the fact we've got no money to spend and we've got injuries and the club seems to have all kinds of problems, which we'll touch on a bit more in a moment. But Monaco, Jesus fuck, there's a fall from grace. You know, they two years ago, they blitzed the French League with like a almost a record number of points or a record number of points or something, playing the most amazing, exciting, attacking football. You know, they were really unlucky not to knock out Juventus in the Champions League. Juventus then got onto the final. Um, they looked, you know, a young team for the most part, apart from Falcao. And you thought this is a team that could really go places. And they basically then sold all their best players, apart from <laughs> Falcao and a couple of defenders. And and now have bought loads of young players that are supposed to be super promising, but are all basically totally unfamiliar with the relegation battle or have been injured. And yeah, they, they might fucking go down. <laughs> Yeah, which is, which is extraordinary. Restart season for for Henri. Yeah, I mean, gosh, he's uh, he might be questioning the taste of the chalice that he's uh, <laughs> he signed up to there because it's it's not got any better under him than it was under Jardim, who who obviously was a very good coach. So the fact that it went so wrong so quickly under Jardim made you think, hmm, it's an it's an interesting one there. But you. You would assume they've got too much quality to be in trouble, but they keep getting bad results. But then I looked, I looked at a couple of the highlights of their recent games, and it's like, where the fuck are all their players? Like they've got, like they got a one-all draw against uh, Vieira's Nice, and Monaco's goal was scored by like some seventeen-year-old centre-back, and they had like four other teenagers in the team, and two other people I'd never heard of who weren't even teenagers. And you're like, where are all their players? They've bought all these players to try and replace ones that leave, and they're all just none of them are there anymore. It's really weird, really weird. Um, anyway, that's more of a, a sideshow to to Arsenal, but I suppose with Henri we have an interest in that direction, and I suppose it's a bit of a perspective. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Although enough perspective, we have to talk about how much Arsenal are fucking everything up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with, with the confirmation that came out today. Yeah, well, I mean, oh, that there was a shock story, wasn't it? Sven Lichtenstein <laughs> leaves is leaving in February. Really? Shit! We never knew. Like when, when Sky tweet breaking news. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There's Jim White in a duffel coat outside a stadium somewhere or something ridiculous like that. You know, when it's already been discussed on every possible kind of podcast and and TV program already, you're like, okay, yeah, we know. Don't try and make it news. 
it's a bit suitably low-key statement of, of, of the club going he's great but he's going and he's going it's been great but I'm going <laughs> and you're like yeah whatever we'll, ne- we'll never find the truth yeah um, what's the I, what's the reasoning behind that well I mean as I say we'll never find out but the, but it seems <laughs> that um, I mean reading between the tea leaves and picking up all the various different things I've heard and read and, and different sources and a bit of digging it seems that essentially when Gazidis brought Mislian Tat in, he was brought in to be head of recruitment at a time when there was head of recruitment. You had uh, Raoul Seigneur being like football relations because basically he had loads of friends in the game in high places. And you had Gazidis basically doing the commercial stuff not very successfully. And so it looked like on the football side, he had a, a, the potential to make himself a, like the king of the football side. You know, there was talk of... He, I think there was already talking at that stage about bringing in a technical director and I think he was given a nod and a wink that if it went well he might be that person which would obviously be effectively a promotion from anything he'd ever had before as opposed to being in the, an equivalent position to what he had at Dortmund uh, now it seems that uh, as Gazidis did a runner as soon as someone threw enough money, money at him um, he left a little bit of a, a question about the power and obviously it became clear that uh, Vinay and Raul were the new heads of money and football and if you're been now head of like football essentially um, do you want someone who you were brought you know who was on a level position with you in a kind of way to then be you know competing with you for influence I think it may be a bit of a power play internally and I think it's also you know there was talk that the club had been looking externally for a technical director uh, and they would ideally seem to want to try and find someone who actually has had that role before as opposed to promoting someone that seems to have the capacity but hasn't any experience and it's logical to conclude that Mislin Tat might have his nose put out a joint by that he might think well I was sort of semi-promised this new Superposition to, to, to you know, transform the philosophy of the entire club's football playing side, and maybe he doesn't mesh quite as well with what Emery wants. Who knows? But certainly, if that position is no longer available to him, then you know he might start looking elsewhere. And and I'm sure the reason why words come out is because he's already in negotiations with other teams. You know, Bayern have denied everything, of course, but, you know, Bayern tend to... Bayern actually tend to be quite trustworthy with such things because they tend to, you know, be so fucking arrogant they'll tell everyone that what they're doing. But having said that, in the last couple of years, they've been sneaky underhand bastards with a number of things. You know, the Serge Nabry deal being a, a case in point. Um, so, frankly, I don't trust that. I think he's probably already been contacted and knows there's some other options on the table and thought, well, if I'm not going to get what I want here, then why shouldn't I go somewhere else where I'll at least have more more money to spend and the capacity to possibly get a bit, bit more power because you're not competing with anyone you were brought in at the same similar time as. That's my view. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... Not sure I could, you know, give something something else because I'm not as familiar with, you know, everything happening inside the club and all the titles and the roles and everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but, well, you know me. I love writing about all that boring shit. <laughs> I, I I read your whole, whole article and was <laughs> just a really cruel reality check. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for, kids. Yeah, crush those dreams. If you write about this, I'll, I'll read as well. <laughs> well, I, I, I think 
at the moment is there's not a great deal to write about in a way because we still we know that the club have been trying to bring someone in to be technical director loads of people made up a whole of stuff about it. it was going to be edu uh who knows if that story was true but he's been technical director for the brazil national team uh and much as he likes arsenal would you as a footballer leave <laughs> an ex-footballer leave the job of being technical director for the national team which is like the most famous and successful national team in the history of the world to go into an uncertain situation at a club that's got no money to spend, even if you love the club? <laughs> or might you hang on for a bit <laughs> in your home such country? A, <laughs> yeah, such a brilliant offer we have here. Yeah. But it, it's London. <laughs> and, and now there's rumours that they're going to go for Mark Overmars, who's been obviously doing a sort of director of football-type role at Ajax, um, you know, desperately trying to get the ex-Arsenal links. I mean, I'd, obviously you're a little bit young to remember those days in quite as much detail, but I'm I'm not sure I really see Overmars as an Arsenal man. I see him as a, a player who was great for us, uh, but then, you know, as soon as there was a really sexy offer at Barcelona, he was off. Um, not that I criticise him, because we got a lot of money for him, even in, you know... I mean, hey, we got more money for him nearly 20 years ago than we've got for anyone we've sold apart from... Theo Walcott and Oxley Chamberlain in the last decade so um, we can't really criticise particularly as he had busted knees and only had a couple of years left in his career but um, you know who knows It's uh, in some ways I'm glad the club's looking at ex-players for various different roles you know we've obviously brought in Freddie Jungberg back to the club um, we did have Thierry training the kids but then he got offered better jobs um, Tony Adams was briefly training with the, training under 18s but then he got offered the job to be director of football somewhere else and understandably had slightly more interest in being able to make a massive difference to a club as opposed to a little difference to a few individuals um, but you know at least the club are looking in this direction um, so hopefully that may yield more results we'll never find out what happened with the Jens Lehmann thing though why he was shunted out the door so unceremoniously um, where, as, soon as, as soon as Wenger went one thing I did uh, speak on Jens Lehmann news. Have, have you uh, have you heard about the uh, letter to the Times newspaper? I, I've seen that the, the little from the newspaper about something about Brexit, right? Yes, it was like a, a, a letter from signed by like twenty something high in, important Germans of importance, basically <laughs> saying, "Hey, don't do Brexit. We love you guys. We'll be so sad if you go." Uh, you know. We Germans have always loved England, etc., etc., etc. And one of the the, the uh, assigned people to one of the people who signed this letter was Jens Lehmann, which I thought was rather nice. <laughs> so we, nice touch. Uh, so he's, he he doesn't hate the country, despite the fact the club fucked him over. <laughs> um, yeah, the, what you mentioned that he was he left as when after Wenger left. I think it was James Olley, the journalist, mentioned today on Twitter how. Now, two out of three people who appointed the Emery are, are gone. So six, seven months into his yes, his reign. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, what does that mean for him? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's a results-orientated business, and I guess if he does well without spending too much money, then the club will want to keep him. Um, I mean, it's hard to know whether 
whether the reality of the situation was what it was advertised to him when he took the job. You know, I mean, you wouldn't expect to come to a club like Arsenal and be told that you can't spend any money in the first season. And, but then, of course, is it that there's no money to spend or is it that the whoever the transfer committee may have been <laughs> making the decision at the time, whether Sven was involved in that or not, are saying that you can't buy these players permanently? Or are they saying you can't buy anyone permanently at the moment because we need to assess the squad with you at the end of the season? Or is it that we can't afford to take any more wages at this point? You know, we can we can guess at these things and we have a certain amount of information about financial limitations. But ultimately, in, in true Arsenal style, no info is really getting out about how things are really working um, and where the decisions are actually being made. But, I mean, he came here and has really a different different role, different title than Wenger has. He's mm. not the manager, he is the head coach. Yeah. So I, I just assume that that in, in the start it means a lot, uh, a bit less control over everything in the club, less than Wenger has. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so even, so the, these, because it is living and now Mislatans as well, it's just a bit more worried to me than if Wenger was still here, you know, mm. for for that reason, just how I'm thinking at the moment. Well, I suppose, uh, you know, a counter-argument would be that when you look at the record of Arsenal under Ivan Gazidis' stewardship, uh, it's not been great. <laughs> uh, and the, you know, the commercial income hasn't has grown at a slower rate than any of our competitors. And the decisions we've been making on the football side of things, although he had less influence in that, were still not great. Um so uh, I'm not sure that his departure represents a vacuum. It, do, you know, it has res- resulted in a slight situation, which has probably resulted in the departure of Sven. In the you had a situation where it wasn't clear where the dividing lines between different people's positions and authority lay. Um, you know, what is the difference between? Uh, I mean, obviously, Vinay's position on the commercial side is fairly clear and separate. But what is the difference between? Uh, head of football relations, a director of football, a technical director, <laughs> head yeah. of recruitment. I mean, where where do the dividing lines for these things lie? And if they don't agree, how the fuck can they work together? Yeah, who um, has the higher? Yeah, who has the greater say? And 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 I can imagine that being part of the issue here. You know, perhaps Sven came up with some ideas and uh, Raoul disagreed with them, and and, and the club backed him rather than Sven for, you know, I mean, again, we can only speculate because the clubs, as usual, is, doesn't bother communicating anything in really significant with its fans. And in, I suppose, in a matter, manner of speaking, why would they have to? Um, but it does lead to a lot of people having strange chats uh, <laughs> on podcasts <laughs> and on the internet ad infinitum. But yeah, hey. and as you mentioned that perhaps when suggested something and Raul didn't agree. I, I can totally see that happen because from, from my point of view, I was thinking uh, Sven is looking at the players and so possible signings and everything more from, from a statistical way yeah, yeah. You know, playing and trying to find players that are still perhaps not, not seen but very talented and for, for cheap mm. while Raul obviously has contacts and agents and everything. I personally would prefer Sven's way over, over you know, having great contact book. Well, I mean, you don't want to go down the George Mendes, let's give the guy all the money route. Yeah. But, exactly. um, I, I mean, ideally, you want both. And I suppose that was 
that was the idea that Gazidis came up with, but he fucked off before the structure was set was fully settled. Um, so you end up with a situation where, I mean, we don't know if there's been a big disagreement between the two. There may not have been, but we end up in a situation where there's scope for disagreement because, uh, you, you know, Gazidis' departure put Raoul Senlehi in a stronger position than he was when Sven, Sven Mislintat was signed. And so obviously whatever balance of power there there is between them, if there is any disagreement, you're creating an, a, a, a greater conflict than there was just by virtue of of creating different expectations in different people who are working for the same organisation. Um, I mean, hell, it's... Sometimes these things are just not easy to get right. Uh, and this particular issue is, although I like to have a go at because he does for quite a few things, I don't think this particular issue can really be laid at his door, uh, simply because the, the club is undergoing a lot of changes behind the scenes structurally, and inevitably there are going to be some casualties. The only hope is that when Sven goes, that someone is brought in in that role who is a slightly more uh, analytical approach than merely just you know knowing knowing the right people. Um, yeah. Now, of course, David Dean did an excellent job knowing the right people. So it's all about how much input into the specifics the man with the contact book wants to have, um, and, and, and you know what, and what the overall strategic direction of the football side of the club is. And, and of course, you know, until it's in place, Arsenal are going to keep that very close to their chest, even if they've got a plan. Which, given the way things have been run in recent years, you wonder how concrete their plan is. But if if there is a plan now, they're not going to let us know until it's realised. Because why would they? Because they'll otherwise, if it doesn't work, they'll look like fucking idiots. Um, and corporate people tend not to thrive or like looking like idiots. <laughs> um, I mean, elsewhere, I think, you know, on the subject of recruitment, I think opportunism is still going to be a large part of how we do things, given that we're so limited in resources. Uh, another rumour uh, on a similar vein to the uh, Denis Suarez one is the uh, uh, Gelson Martins rumour, or Gelson, I know Gelson, I think, Martins, uh, who, of course, we were linked with before he left Sporting Lisbon on a free to go to Atletico Madrid um, when he, by when he cancelled his contract after the punch up at Sporting's training ground uh, and now basically he it's not worked for him after Atletico Madrid you know uh, who would have thought that an erratic attacking wide player might not fit into Diego Simeone's system I mean um, so there's talk that we're trying to get him on loan until the end of the season uh, which would be a very interesting signing. Certainly, he'd bring a very different dynamic. I mean, have you seen much of Gelson Martins? No, I haven't. <laughs> I mean, basically, he is, he's like a cross between Javinho, Glenn Helder and Theo Walcott, mm. uh, which is not, you know, may not sound like the most uh, attractive pros prospect to, to listeners, but it all depends on the degree to which, which, which quality he's got. Because basically he's super quick. He's not quite Theo quick, but he's almost that quick. And he dribbles a bit like Javinho. Um, and he, you know, when when he's playing well, he crosses like Glenn Helder's good days. <laughs> but basically he's a, yeah, he's a fast out-and-out -out winger with great dribbling skill who can be unstoppable and destroy teams or he can be, you know, all over the shop a little bit. Um but he would certainly bring a very different dynamic to the squad, even if he isn't the finished article by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, hey, it's probably not going to happen. It's probably just agent talk. 
but it's if um, Atletico Madrid are going to bring in uh, Alvaro Morata, they're going to have to get rid of Martins or Kalinic or possibly both. And, uh, you know, who knows what the market for those players is going to be. Probably no one's going to want to buy them permanently at this stage, given that their careers in Madrid have not done well. Um, yeah. We, I hope we don't go for Kalinic. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go for Kalinic. It's the, you know, the, the one thing we do not need in this squad is an out-and-out centre-forward. Yeah. We've got two really good ones. And we're already just playing both of them when it doesn't really fit our system too often. <laughs> um, obviously, if one of them gets injured, the game changes because suddenly it's Eddie Nketiah to the rescue, which might be a bit too much pressure for a young guy. But hey, out of tri- out of adversity comes opportunity, so who knows? <laughs> Don't ask for more injuries, Matthew. No, I'm not asking for more injuries <laughs> at all. Um, I mean, yeah... We're, normally, uh, January transfer windows are full of lots of kind of speculation and Arsenal being linked with a thousand players. But by basically coming out straight away and going, "We got no money," <laughs> um, <laughs> the newspapers are like, "Oh shit!" So much of our, you know, all the websites are like, "So much of our clickbait, so much of our column inches every year is taken up with potential Arsenal transfers." And now we're just having to try and find anyone who might plausibly be available on loan in one of three positions. This is a lot harder than it used to be. <laughs> We can't just link Arsenal to everyone in France like we've been able to do for the last 20 years. Good times, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, perhaps the club will have a surprise for us, but I doubt it. Um, <laughs> I suppose one surprise that took place in the last week we have to touch on is uh, Petr Cech announcing that he's hanging up the gloves and the boots at the end of the season. Um, I mean, what's your take on that? I mean, yeah, it was a surprise because I didn't really expect it to happen at the end of the season but I mean some it's somehow kind of kind of logical because he can see that Leno is now taking over here and he has been in the game for so long won so so much and he mentioned that he wants to continue working in football and everything it's kind of seems like a logical step in, in his career for me at the moment and I just love the reaction to it, how everyone was just congratulating him and mm. seems like really a cool guy and I wouldn't mind having him at Arsenal after. Well I was about to say well, Chelsea wasted no time in making it clear that they'd be they'd, they'd have him back on the staff uh, in some capacity uh, you know I hope Arsenal make a play for him as well because as you say he's famously a, a, a person of great character and um, and humanity you know I mean he's one of those rare breed of footballers that whenever you see him interviewed you think I'd really like to talk to you about all kinds of stuff because you seem really switched on and interesting and um, yeah I think you know, having him and the Mertesacker teaching young kids something it just kind of seems really cool idea to me. Dream team, dream team. Make it happen, <laughs> like, Arsenal. Both, yeah, both are good on the pitch. You know, uh, know the game, know the team, how to how to build a team and uh, communicate and everything. But off pitch as well, I think that it would be useful for for young kids to you know just teach them life in general, not only football. Well, there was some recent uh, one of the you know Arsenal dot com fluff piece videos that they put on YouTube that got, pops up and gets recommended to me every time I turn my bloody computer. Um, was uh, one of 
Petr Cech and I think it was Mohamed El Neni I think doing like some spin the wheel uh, random question generator type thing and they and it got to like school days and uh, like I think it was El Neni whoever it was with him was basically going yeah I hated school I just tried to scove off and play football the entire time I didn't want to go I wasn't any good at it <laughs> and then Czech's like eh, I kind of liked school and I was good at it and I worked out early on that if I worked hard in the lessons then everyone would just let me do what I wanted and play football whenever I wanted <laughs> as long as I did well in my studies and he's like yeah that sounds about right <laughs> um, yeah well you know Hopefully we can give him a good send-off. Um, certainly, even though his name will always be associated more with Chelsea than with Arsenal, you know, he is one of those rare players that has crossed a divide without generating any ill feeling on any side. Um, yeah, which is, yeah, as I say, it's basically him and Pat Jennings and uh, <laughs> and, and Oliver and Olivier Giroud. Yeah, exactly. Although, I don't, I, want, I don't know how Chelsea fans feel about Giroud. I think they're a bit sort of ambivalent. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so we now have to look forward to the small matter of the FA Cup fourth look round. <laughs> yeah, well, we have to. I mean, it's going to happen. So there's no point pretending it's not. Um, the one saving grace for Arsenal, I guess, going into this game, despite the continued injuries and uncertainty, is we are at home. Um, and uh, at home, we have a good record against top teams and a good record in the FA Cup. Um I mean, how do you how do you analyse the, the the new improved, no longer depressed Manchester United? <laughs> I, I was watching most most of their matches now, and uh, I mean, you you consequence you of your relationship, the, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you can't deny they are looking much much better than under under Mourinho. But as you mentioned already, they had some favourable fixtures that perhaps they would have won even with that team and even within that situation. The players just seem to really enjoy the things happening at now, Solskjaer running the, the team and everything. The situation is really looking good for them. They got almost uh, above us uh, on the league table. Everything is, you know, nice and shiny and everyone is happy. That de- definitely influences the performances on the, on the pitch. Mm. If the Team spirit is good, but I mean, they were, they had some, even I'd say even whole half times when they didn't look like scoring or creating anything. They didn't look look that good. It just clicks a bit more often than it did before. <laughs> Pogba definitely looks much better, but they still have you know those black holes. Uh, yeah, dark. yeah. At least ten, fifteen minutes each each match when they just you know can string passes together and the hair has to be there to save them yeah i mean certainly d- defensively i think they still might be even weaker than arsenal in terms of the performance individual performances of their back four um which is uh, saying a lot um and actually they're still playing very much a counter-attacking style it's just they're now playing a counter-attacking style that actually has pace and flair to it as opposed to a counter-attacking style that uh, didn't really have any thing you could pin your hat on to it. Apologies for the interference, listeners. I don't know what happened there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously they're a different proposition because they're a lot, they, they transition the ball with a lot more speed uh, and they're playing this super quick, you know, front line of Lingard, Martial, 
Rashford and then Pogba breaking forward behind them which is you know there's this, this lot of great deal of athleticism in, in, in the way that they play under Solskjaer and, and as you say they seem to re- rediscover some of their joy but we don't yet know you know if if Solskjaer is more than just a nice bloke who can make people feel happy again or if there's actually any great tactical depth to anything he's doing and it's a really tricky game to predict because I think both teams have a lot of strengths and a lot of weaknesses um I'd say that kind of every outcome in this forthcoming match is entirely possible. Uh, but the first goal is going to be super important. Definitely. I'm, I just hope that we, you know, play the strongest team possible without any, you know, oh, it's epic. It's, it's a huge match. It's our really good chance on yet another trophy. Mm. I mean, I can't, I can't see any reason why Emery wouldn't play the strongest team in in this particular game. It, again, as you say, it's, it's only apart from the Europa League, which is going to be very challenging. It's it's the only it's the only realistic shot we have at a trophy this season. Um, and we are playing again, but not until Tuesday night. So it's it's, it's a normal sort of break between games. And then the following game we do have is a a home match against Cardiff City which you'd expect us to be f- big favourites for even if we do rotate for a little um, obviously after that we have Man City away but well, let's not talk about that one just yet <laughs> um, and one can only assume that United are going to take the game seriously so it should make for a really really good game um, I mean, I, I'm trying to work out how I can get away with watching it when I'm already sort of socially triple booked. <laughs> I'm, so- I'm so glad it's on Friday, Friday evening, because we can we usually you know go to see one parent, then see other parents, and we have to combine everything and timings and all. So Friday night is just perfect timing for us. Yeah, worse for me, I'm afraid. But anyway. <laughs> uh, it, well, it's also our twentieth derby. Oh, your twentieth derby together as a couple. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. How romantic. How romantic. I I, I guess I guess he's still a little bit ahead in the overall score stakes. A little bit. <laughs> I think we have four or five wins, something like that. But there's been a lot of draws, haven't there? Yeah, there yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Well, dare you make a prediction for the weekend? Hmm. Hmm. I'm gonna go with with the win. Okay. I think it's going to be perhaps 3-2. Oh, yeah, nice, nice. I was going to say 2-1, so we're on a similar page. <laughs> so, well, let's hope we're both right, listeners, and it'll be a great game and we can enjoy it. Particularly if we get... Wouldn't it be lovely if it sort of ended up with someone getting a sort of last-minute headed winner a la Thierry Henry all those years back in the game against Man United at the Emirates? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Corsini again. Yeah, you see, there's a good smile. There we go. That was worth it. <laughs> All right, then. Well, I think I think that's probably enough gassing for this week. Um, well, there was quite a lot to talk about. I mean, there's more things we can talk about, but I think it's probably worth keeping the powder dry simply because a number of those things are still in evolution and uh, would just be repeating either ourselves or other people if we went more into depth with them at this stage. Um, so with that in mind... Uh, thank you for getting this far if you have listeners well done uh, you deserve a prize I don't know what prize it is but it's a prize of some sort and thank you Anita for talking to me all the way from Croatia always oh, nice and uh, we will speak to you next week hopefully uh, with a nice FA Cup fifth round draw to look forward to uh, yeah 
beat United and then get like home against some non-league team that's what we want <laughs> alright everyone have a lovely week and we'll speak to you soon take care bye